This morning, we begin a new series of lessons entitled The Call to Discipleship. Six times throughout his teaching ministry, Jesus made a statement, something like this, if you want to be my disciple, then fill in the blank. He filled in the blank. Something is expected of us as Christ followers. If, then. Jesus' call to discipleship requires something of us. Six principles. John 8, verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. The abiding principle. John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The producing principle. John 13, verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Loving principle. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The worshiping principle. Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The dying principle. Luke 14, verse 33, any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. The surrendering principle. Here then, in Jesus' own words, is what it means to be a disciple. In essence, these are the six tests that Jesus himself gave to count the actual cost of following and over the next six Sundays, we'll be studying each of these principles one at a time to see exactly how we measure up to Jesus' calling. The call to discipleship. The first test of the authentic, genuine Christ caller is what I call the abiding principle. It's found in John 8, verses 31 and 32 that Craig read a moment ago. We'll be looking at it in detail. The abiding principle. Let's begin today's lesson by looking at the scripture together. The key phrase, undoubtedly, in today's text is found in the second half of verse 31. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Would you read it with me? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now notice how some other versions translate or paraphrase this. The New American Standard. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The Amplified Bible, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. J.D. Phillips, if you're faithful to what I have said, you are truly my disciples. Contemporary English version, if you keep on obeying what I have said, you truly are my disciples. The message, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. The New Living Translation, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. 
the World English Bible, if you remain in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Now the actual Greek verb in this verse is meno. It's used most often translated remain, continue, or abide. Used 118 times in the New Testament. Most often, by the way, by John. 34 times in his gospel, 19 times in his various letters. In his origins, it meant to dwell at one's own house, to put down roots somewhere, to remain or continue in one place permanently. <coughs> Here in John 8.31, the NIV chooses to translate it, hold to. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. I personally prefer the word abide as it's used in the New American Standard. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Since, therefore, we have that focus of today's lesson, the abiding principle. Now, I believe it's important for us to take note that this verb meno is used in the continuing action tense here in our text. In other words, we are to continually abide, continually hold to, or always be abiding in. And here in John 8, 31, specifically that which we are to unceasingly hold to or persistently abide in, Jesus says, is my teaching. Referring to continuing in or remaining in or dwelling in or taking up residence in his word, his instructions, his message, or in simple terms, the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul urges us to hold firmly to the Word. Likewise, Titus 1, verse 9, Paul reminds us that one of the key character traits of a spiritual leader, an elder in the church, is that he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And actually, when I think of this word meno and the abiding principle, perhaps the most significant and relevant scripture passage that comes to my mind is John chapter 15. In fact, I want you to turn there with me. Would you hold a finger at John 8, because we're going to be coming back to that. But turn to, to John chapter 15. We're going to take a look at a, a few verses. Here in, in this passage, John or rather I should say Jesus, because he's the one that John is quoting, uses this word meno more often than any other place in the Bible. Follow along as I read a few verses here. You'll see what I mean. John chapter 15, we pick it up with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more Fruitful. You are already clean, you are already pruned, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain, see, here's that word. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See how often he uses this? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. By the way, I skipped over verse 8 on purpose <laughs> because that's going to be our text next Sunday on the second principle, which is the producing principle. In fact, we're going to come back and revisit the entire passage we just read in John chapter 15. We're going to dig it out next week. Just phrase by phrase, verse by verse, we're going to dig it out. So we'll come back and revisit that. But I wanted you to see that because of how often Jesus uses that term, meno, remain, abide, continue. But let's get back to John chapter 8, shall we? There's still a couple of important nuggets of truth, I think, for us to dig out of these verses in verses 31 and 32. Notice to whom Jesus addressed this teaching in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Now, to understand this in its proper context, we really have to go back a few verses in this same chapter so we can capture What's going on here that brought us to this point in verse 31? And so let's go back to verse 12. Okay, you with me in John chapter 8? Go back to verse 12. It says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, the crowds, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees, verse 13, challenged him. Well, of course they did. They always did. They didn't like what Jesus had to say. They didn't like who he was and what he stood for. And they often got in his face and challenged him, tried to trip him up, tried to trick him. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, verse 14, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. And then in the verses to follow, they banter back and forth a bit. Okay, you with me? You know, they're, they're kind of having their, their usual bantering back and forth. They're challenging Jesus and he's answering them and so on. You get down to verse 23. Okay, you with me? John 8, verse 23. But he, Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Who are you? Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me, that would be the Father, is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his Father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, see he's picturing the crucifixion there, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Verse 30, even as 
he spoke, even as Jesus spoke, many in the crowd put their faith in him. Now, now don't overlook verse 30, which is immediately prior to our text today, compared to verse 31. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Now there's a subtle yet important choice of words here by John that we must not overlook. In verse 30 it talks of many who put their faith in him. That would be the crowds who listened and responded to his teaching and testimony about who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the Lord. And the text then continues in verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him. Now notice it does not say believed in him. I don't want to take and make more of this than John intended, but I don't think his choice of words here is accidental. In other words, I, I believe that John left out the word in intentionally in verse 31. Why? Because he was distinguishing between those who have put their faith in him, verse 30, and those who just believed him, verse 31. In fact, he even chooses totally different words here, there's a huge difference, I want you to understand, between the word faith, as it's used in verse 30, and the word believe, as it's used in verse 31. Faith is trust, reliance, confidence in Jesus as Messiah. It's an active conviction about who Jesus is. Believe is simply a, an intellectual assent. It's a passive agreement about what Jesus said. That's subtle, I know, but critically important to the meaning of today's text and the abiding principle. Simple put, it's not enough just to believe Jesus. We must put our faith in Him. And that's why Jesus challenges these Jewish leaders who merely believe, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly mine. Disciples. If you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. The point is, we cannot merely believe Jesus. We must put our faith in him. And that means an unceasing holding or persistently abiding in his word. Constantly and continually putting his teaching to practice in our everyday lives. Folks, this is the difference between being a believer and being a disciple. You with me? We're going to come to understand in this series that there is a huge difference between being a believer and being a disciple. And it all starts right here with today's text. That's what this entire series is all about. The call to discipleship. That brings us to verse 32. We can't overlook verse 32 this morning. I mean, it's one of the most beloved promises found in all of the New Testament, right? In fact, let's read it out loud together. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <laughs> oh, what a great verse. Now I realize there are volumes of sermons just from this one verse, this single promise from Jesus. But I'm not going to dwell on it that long in today's lesson. Why? Because I think it's pretty simple to understand what Jesus is saying here. 
I mean, it's not complex, folks. There's no need for us to make something that's clear cloudy. <laughs> Let's just interpret what Jesus said here in the context of this scripture passage and let it mean what it means. Basically, Jesus instructs us with this line of reasoning. I'm going to give it to you right now, then I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to tell you what I gave to you. You with me? Because we've got to get this. Because if we don't get what I'm about to say right now, we're going to miss this whole lesson today. So let me just kind of lay it out, and then we'll expand on it a bit, and then we'll sum it up a bit. Okay? If we truly want to be His disciple, then we will continually abide in Him and in His Word. And if we are continually abiding in Him and in His Word, then we will know the truth. And if we know the truth, then that truth will set us free. And as Jesus Himself says in just a couple of verses later, John 8 and verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free in Amen? Hallelujah! May it be so, God! Well, that's a look at the scripture this morning. So, what lessons can we learn from our study together today? Call the discipleship. Here at John 8, Jesus outlines the very first test for counting the cost of following Him, the abiding principle. And as we do our best to grasp John 8, 31, 32, and today's discipleship principle. It seems to me that there are four key take-home lessons to be applied to our lives. Beginning with abiding's relationship, which is Jesus. The abiding principle's relationship is all about Jesus. I mean, certainly that's where all abiding begins. The call to discipleship is about a personal relationship with Jesus. As we read earlier in John 15 and verse 4, Jesus himself instructed us to remain in me and I will remain in you. We must remain. We must abide in Jesus. That's that word meno. Continue and dwell and put down permanent roots in. Abiding in Jesus. But take note that this abiding is mutual. Did you see that? If we abide in Jesus, Jesus promises to abide in us. Thank you. It's all about relationship. At its core, the abiding principle speaks of the individual personal connection between the didaskalos, that's the Greek word for teacher, and the mathetes, that's the Greek word for disciple. And the picture is that of a student sitting at the feet of the master teacher, the apprentice learning at the side of the journeyman, the novice being instructed by the expert. And yet, no human relationship can truly picture the relationship that we're talking about here, the abiding relationship between disciple and and Jesus. It's much deeper than a student teacher. It's much more intimate than an apprentice journeyman. It's way beyond the bond between a novice and an expert. How? Because it is a mutual love relationship 
between the Creator, God, and the creation, us. It's the special connection between the parent, the father, and the son and daughter, us as children. It's the communion between the Redeemer, Jesus, and the redeemed, us. How may we describe this relationship? Well, Jesus himself attempted to do so in John 6 and verse 56. Let's read it out loud together. Read it with me, will you? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Did you catch that word? Meno, abide. And Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Has this relationship with me. Now, this is one of those verses where you are. Uh, I'm not sure I understand this. I'm not sure I want to understand. What's Jesus talking about? Well, obviously, I mean, the, the picture here that Jesus is talking about is the communion that we have as disciples with Him. That special relationship. And yes, communion is symbolized here. The body and the blood of Jesus. It's the picture of us eating His flesh, of drinking His blood, it, it, where He becomes a part of us. He literally is absorbed into us and becomes a part of the fabric of our lives. And He is in us, and as He is in us, we are in Him, in that wonderful love relationship that we can only have with the One who is our Redeemer. People that were in the immediate crowd, they didn't like that, <laughs> by the way. We don't really like it much either, can I just be honest? In fact, just a few verses later, John 6 and verse 66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because they couldn't handle this. They, they, you know, they were all right. Frankly, at this point in time in Jesus' ministry, John chapter 6, was what they call the time of popularity in his ministry. Jesus had just, you know, done a bunch of miracles. Jesus had just taken the five loaves and the two fish, remember that, and fed the 5,000. I mean, they were along for the free ride. <laughs> they were along for the free lunch. I mean, they kind of like this Jesus guy. I think we'll hang out with him, man. The blessings just keep coming. The promises just keep being fulfilled. I like this. I could do this the rest of my life. And Jesus says, no, you can't. Because if you really want to have a relationship with me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? I've got to become a part of the fabric of your life. I've got to be absorbed in you, and you've got to be absorbed in me, and we have to abide together in that incredible relationship that can only exist between Jesus and this life. And so much people left. Because that wasn't what they bargained for. And can I frankly say that there's a whole lot of people in the church today that are along for a free ride? Yes, I mean, they, they, they don't like this passage either. Let me ask a question. What, what picture comes to your mind when I say the word disciple? Or I use the word discipleship? 
mean, do you think of the crazy men and women who followed Jesus in the New Testament? I mean, they were pretty crazy. They even gave their lives. They were nuts. Or do you think, when I say the word disciple, you think of some monk or some holy person living in a monastery who's given up a normal life to seek and to serve God? Or when I say the word discipleship, do you think about religion? Do you think about rituals and rules and regulations? A list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, that's what discipleship is. Well, that's where you're at. You need to change your thinking. Because being a disciple, discipleship, is first and foremost relationship. It's about abiding in Jesus Christ and His Word. And about Jesus Christ and His Word abiding in us constantly, continually, 24-7, each and every moment of our lives. Relationship. It's all about relationship. So first abiding is relationship is Jesus. Which brings us to abiding is resource. Which is the Bible. The abiding principle's resource is the Bible. The more that we are in our relationship with Jesus and our intimacy is growing deeper and stronger as we abide in Him and He abides in us, the more that we will hunger and thirst to do His will, to follow His teachings, to abide in His words and allow His word to abide in us. And that, in fact, is the special focus of John 8 and verse 31. If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Or the New American Standard. If you abide in my word, then are you truly disciples of mine? I mean, that's the bottom line of the abiding principle. A true disciple abides in Jesus' teachings, the Bible. And Jesus' teachings, the Bible, abide in the disciples. Jesus put it bluntly, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. <laughs> I mean, does it get any clearer than that? If we love Jesus, if we are abiding in Jesus and He in us, like we just talked about, then we will, in fact, obey His commands. We will abide in His Word, the Bible. Just a few verses later, Jesus put it this way. If anyone loves me... He will obey my teaching. My Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Isn't that interesting? Yes. I mean, that's the abiding principle right there at work. Read 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17 out loud with me. Let's read this together. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point. <coughs> I say it so often, some of you think I'm a broken record. The Bible is God's blueprint <coughs> for life. It's the manufacturer's instruction manual. It's the directions for how life works best. When all else fails, read the directions. Or better yet, before all else fails, read the directions. Abiding's resource is the Bible, God's 
So, so what does abiding in his word look like anyway? Simply three things. First of all, we must love the word. We must love God's word. Like the psalmist declares in Psalm 119 and verse 97, how I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. Some of us might say, I kind of like your teachings. I think about them once a week in church. See, the question is, do we really love the Bible? I mean, do we love God's Word? Oh, God created us a hunger and a thirst that we would love your Word. We must love the Word. We secondly must live, learn the Word. We've got to learn. It's the attitude that's portrayed in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 6. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Yeah, that kind of a thirst for the word of God. Are you that hungry for God's Word? Are you learning God's Word? I mean, are you reading it and, and, and studying it and memorizing it and meditating upon it? Is it a part of your daily diet? Are you hungering and thirsting and spending time, serious time, in God's Word? Learning what He has to say. And then, of course, that must lead to we must live the Word. Yeah, we've got to love it, and we've got to learn it, but ultimately, we have got to live it. James 1 and verse 25 reminds us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. <laughs> Practice it. Obey it. Which leads to the question, are you living out God's Word, the Bible? Are you putting it into practice? Is it part of the obedience of your life that you're in God's Word, loving His Word, and learning His Word, and as you're doing that, you're living it? You're, you're putting it into practice in your life. So second, abiding's resources. Why? That's what we're Which leads to abiding's result, which is truth. Abiding's, the abiding principle's result is truth. As we're abiding in a relationship with Jesus and abiding in His Word, and His Word is abiding in us 24-7, the result will be that we're going to know and we're going to understand the truth. Now, once again, in Jesus' own words in John 8, verse 32, then you will know the truth. Sorry. And ultimately, isn't that the desire of each and every person's heart to know the truth? In John 18, verse 38, Pilate voiced this very desire when he asked Jesus, what is truth? I think there's a lot of people asking that question today. What is truth? Great question. The Bible gives two answers. First, truth is God's Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not that Jesus just knows the truth. Jesus 
is the truth. Capital T. He's the very embodiment, the personification of truth. I recently saw a bumper sticker that said, No Jesus, no truth. No Jesus, no truth. Yeah. He is the truth. And second, truth is God's word. The Bible. When Jesus was praying his high priestly prayer in John 17, right before he was arrested and crucified, one of his requests he voiced to his father is found in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And the them here, by the way, is us. You understand that? You and me. Jesus was praying that you and I would be sanctified, that we would be made holy. How? By the truth. And where do we find this truth? Jesus answers... God, your word is truth. Boy, how we need that in today's world. A lot of people checked out on the truth. Somebody took a stupid pill and woke up one day saying, there is no absolute truth. And they, and they decided that all truth is relative to the person and to the situation. And so what happened is we've lost our moorings. We've lost our foundation. We've lost the very direction of our lives, which is all the more reason why we need to come back to the source of truth, God's Word, Amen. the Bible. Yes. Amen. It is absolute truth. By the way, what's the opposite of truth? Yeah, lies, falsehood, right? I find it interesting that in just a few verses after today's text, John 8, verse 44, that Jesus says of Satan, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, we got a choice here. It's black or white. Either we abide in the truth, we live our lives in the truth, which is a person, Jesus Christ, and which is His Word. Or we live in lies and falsehood. And everything else, just understand this, everything that isn't of God is a lie. It's a pack of lies from the pit of hell itself, from the person of hell himself. See? When we're living by the abiding principle, it results in truth. Then you will know the truth. A little later in John's Gospel, John 16, 13, Jesus promises us, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And the good news is the Holy Spirit has come. He is with us. He is living inside of each and every one of us who are abiding in Jesus and in His Word. And He is guiding us to know and to understand and so third, abiding's result is truth. Finally, abiding's reward, is that what's up there? can't see from the is freedom. Abide, the abiding principle's reward is freedom. If we're in a personal relationship with Jesus, abiding in Him and His Word, and we know the truth, then look at the reward that Jesus promises in John 8, verse 32. Let's read it out loud together. Read it with me. And the truth will set you free. What a reward. Freedom. Liberty. In Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus quoted 
the prophet Isaiah, applying it to his own life. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, Jesus is saying in his own synagogue in Nazareth, he's saying to the people, this is why I'm here. This is my purpose to proclaim freedom. By the way, this year of the Lord's favor that Jesus talks about here is a reference back to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. If you want to read more about that on your own later, just write in the margin there in your notes, Luke 25. I mean, Le Leviticus 25. You can read about the year of Jubilee. It's a year when debts were forgiven and prisoners were released and slaves were set free. And Jesus says here in Luke 4 that He Himself is the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee in a spiritual sense. He is the one, the only one who truly gives freedom and liberty. This is Jesus' very purpose for being. This is why He lived among us. This is why He died. This is why He rose again. This is abiding's reward. Like I mentioned a little while ago, a couple of verses after today's text, John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is real freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from hell. Freedom from Satan. Freedom from religion. Freedom from habits and addictions. Freedom from fear. And on and on the list goes. This is abiding's reward. Freedom! And isn't that the desire of every man, woman, youth, and child to have freedom, to live in liberty? And we must understand that this only comes from the abiding principle. Real, true freedom and liberty is the reward of abiding in Jesus and in His Word, of knowing and understanding truth. Paul wrote in Galatians 5 and verse 13, it is absolutely clear that God has called you Grandma. to live a free life. Peter, 1 Peter 2.16, put it this way. You are free. Live as those who are free. We can do that. We can live in freedom and liberty. God has provided the way and the means for us to do so. The reward is ours to enjoy. And so forth, the Vikings reward is free. There are four then, key take-home lessons for our lives today. And again, I want you to take note of the process here. You've got, you got to get this. I told you about it, now I've told you about it, now I'm going to tell you what I told you. <laughs> You've you got to know how all this fits together, okay? <laughs> now, I, I, I don't think this captures it very well, but we're going to look at it anyway. Because I picture things, I've got to see things... That's the way I am. So imagine that it's a baseball diamond. First, second, third, home. It all starts, you get to first base, in that relationship with Jesus. That makes sense? That's what it's all about. I mean, you can't get past that. That's where it begins, right there. As you are abiding in Jesus, the resource for your life is the Bible. And you abide in the Word, and the Word abides in you. That's second base. The result of that is truth. You begin to know, and you begin to understand truth. That's how you get to third base. The reward of knowing and understanding truth is freedom. 
If you want to hit a home run, if you, if you want to make it score, if you want to make it matter, then that's only going to happen as you round the bases. You, you can't, do you understand? Does that make sense? You, you, can't, you can't start here and say, well, I want to go to second base first. No. It all starts with the relationship with Jesus. Out of that relationship with Jesus, you spend time abiding in His Word, His Word abides in you, then you know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. That's just one illustration. Concentric circles might be another. Maybe at the very center, the hub, is the relationship. It all starts right there with the relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Out of that relationship grows this hunger and this thirst for the Word of God as the Word abides in us and we abide in the Word. And out of that relationship with the Word, we discover the truth. And when we discover the truth, the truth sets us free. Or, or, or perhaps it's a pyramid. <laughs> now the foundation of which, of course, is our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And out of that relationship, we get into His Word, and His Word gets into us, and we abide in the Word of God. And out of that comes the knowledge of the truth. And as we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Or maybe it's a ladder. <laughs> the bottom rung of which is our relationship with Jesus, because that's where it all begins, right? And, and, and in our relationship with Jesus, the next step up would be getting into His Word, and His Word getting into us, the resource, the Bible. And then as we do that, we discover the truth. And as we discover the truth, the truth sets us free. Okay. I think I ran out of illustrations. But you get the idea of what I'm trying to do. Don't, don't miss that process here. Because this really is all a process. It all fits together. The call to discipleship. This morning we've taken a closer look at the abiding principle. John 8, verses 31 and 32. The first of the six tests that Jesus is going to give us to count the actual cost of following Him. Answering Jesus' call to discipleship requires something of us. And the abiding principle is the first of those requirements. 